This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Folks, welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. I am this week's host, Maxwell Baumbach. Unfortunately, our boy Nathan Grubel not here with us today. He's got a lot going on, but we're super happy for him. Doing the whole home closing thing. It's a lot mm. of pieces. It's a lot of constructing furniture. A lot of stuff that's not very fun. Uh, but we're going to have the time of our lives. I'm joined by Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how are you doing today? Man, Maxwell, I'm doing great. You know, it's it's been quite a task lately, like getting every all of all three of us in the one spot. But um, couldn't be more pleased and happy for... Nathan, you know, doing some big boy stuff in his life, you know, he, he and his fiance getting a, getting a place of their own. That's huge. So shout out to to the draft deeper household um, that's that's being created there. But I'm doing awesome, man. Just uh, been watching a lot of basketball lately. I don't know if that's been yeah. the, the same for you, but um, obviously trying to evaluate all these prospects. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm excited for today's show, man, because it's nice to kind of have a little bit of a change of of pace to break up a little of the, of the monotony that we can experience in, in the draft cycle. For sure. Yeah. I feel like it's nice every now and then to take like, not a step back or anything or per se, cause we're, we're always going to be kind of in that ground and watching all the guys, but just to change up the discussion. Cause it's yeah. so easy to just focus on like, I'm thinking about this guy. I'm thinking about this guy. I'm watching this guy again. Um, where this week we are doing a mailbag. Um, so we got to hear questions from you guys, and now that allows us to kind of step back and think about just some different things. Um, mm-hmm. Some guys that might not be this year guys, some guys that might be transfer ups. Um, questions about players within a specific conference, and it kind of like got my gears turning in a different way than it has been, which is basically like, just man, is where does this guy rank? How is this guy? What does this guy need to work on? So it was it was nice. I'm excited to get into these. Do you want to lead off with the first question? Uh, yeah, sure. So first question is asked by everything Cavs on Twitter. That's at underscore everything Cavs on Twitter. And this first question, Maxwell, you just touched on it being, um, you know, conference specific. This is favorite Mac prospect that doesn't play on Eastern Michigan. So that excludes a pretty prominent name, right? Yeah, yeah, we cannot use Tyson Acuff as our answer. Uh, no, no, I think he's. I think he's Shucks. talking about Imani Bates. I would guess. Yeah. I think that's that's who he's talking about. But uh, did you have a guy like right away? Because this is what I like. I thought about pretty hard, and like I've got some honorable mentions. But this is like a. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not into like my you know 568th player yet on my yeah, yeah, yeah. on my board. I'm more in like the the mid 300s right now, but. Mm-hmm. To me, this is pretty easily uh, JV and McCollum for Sienna. Like, oh, just, oh, you're thinking of the two A Mac? Did you ask I, the one A Mac or the two A Mac? Isn't Eastern there Michigan? Two con- the- there are two conferences, so this is a geography hmm. thing. So okay. on the East Coast, you have the Mac, which is the M A A C, which is what JV and McCollum calls in. Okay. And in the Midwest, we refer to the Mid American Conference as the Mac, which is the M A C. So there okay. are two Mac conferences. I think just being closer to the East Coast, you probably heard Mac and associated MA. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. Um, then I am unprepared for this question. That's fine. Hey, no, so. talk about TV McCollum though, because we were talking about him in the group chat and like he's a real interesting player people should be aware of. So yeah, so um I I think that like you just touched on, we've we've been we've been talking about him a lot lately, and um I know that I've seen his name circulating around. He's about what, like six two, six three, little undersized as a guard, though. He's in that like one seventy pounds neighborhood. But despite being a little bit slight of frame, very creative on the offensive end. A slithery can get to his spots relatively well, considering he's a little bit more of that slight of uh, frame. Um, works off the pick and roll well. Very good shooter. Uh, I I love his game a lot. Very fluid offensively. 
I just have concerns about his defense, obviously, with that slide of frame. Mm-hmm. And we had a healthy discussion on, you know, how much does point of attack defense really matter in the NBA? Some schemes and some players, it's it's very important. But we have seen, you know, very recent examples of folks like Trey Young, folks like, you know, Isaiah Thomas. You know, there there's some smaller guards that aren't the best defensive stalwart, but they bring certain things to the offensive end that kind of make them, you know, obviously a little bit worth it to have them on the court. So with JV and I think the offense is there, got to get him up there in the, in the weight room and perhaps, you know, work on that defensive skill, but he's a very intriguing guy. I don't have a top 60 grade on him today, but right now in the process, Maxwell, I'm more trying to cast eyes on as many prospects as I can in the early yeah. going and then try to really whittle it down to, where I truly think these guys will end up. Yeah, I think so much about this part of the draft cycle. You may hear my daughter in the background, by the way, for a little bit. She'll not. It won't be for long. She's she's gonna chill out. It's she a kid friendly podcast. It's so, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, with McCollum, I like Javion. Um, I still just think he's probably a couple years away. Um, just continue to lever because he is like he he could score like he can one hundred percent put the ball in the basket. I think with him, it's just about like becoming more of a playmaker and like leveraging that playmaking, not forcing it as much with some of his passes. The reads are still really basic. Um, but I think all that stuff is going to come along for him. Um, like yeah. you just look at the creativity and like guys like that tend to, to put that together. Um, I am really concerned about the defense. I think he's probably like a guy that like we look at more substantially a year from now or two years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you have the time and like, you're just looking for fun guys to watch, like, could do a whole lot worse than JV on McCollum. Like he's he's really good. Um, for Mid America Conference guys, um, I think the most common name that I'm seeing is Curtis Jones from Buffalo. Yep, uh, I had Curtis, him on my short list. Yep. Yeah, so he's like six five wing. He's labeled as a sophomore most places, but he's like a third year guy. He did a year at community college. Um, He's good. He can he can score all through levels. He's shooting, yeah, 57% on twos. Through two college seasons, 35% on three. So a, a reliable outside shooter. Um, can do some nice stuff as a playmaker. Um, has a 2.5 to 1 assist to turnover ratio right now. Sees the ball well. Just knows how to play on offense. Like Knows where to be when he doesn't have the ball. Um, good length around the basket. He protects his dribble really well, yep. which is something that a lot of wings don't do. Where like when he's putting it on the ground, he's very careful to like not let guys get into his handle. Uh, shooting touch is nice. Um, his base can be kind of narrow on a shot, but the upper part of his body looks good. Uh, yeah, just a guy who knows how to play. Um, on the defensive end, uh, he's a guy who through 10 games doesn't have any blocks, which isn't super common. Um, he's good for steals and getting into passing lanes uh, and uses length well for that. It's point of attack. His efforts not always there, which he is a top option. So I'm always like a little, eh, I give a bit of a pass yeah. on that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to see him do better around screens and things like that, but he's the name I've seen the most. Um, the guy that I'm really into, and if, I took this question is like, not right now, but just who is the best non Amani prospect going forward. Yeah, favorite, um, not better, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I would say long-term, it might be Julian Lewis at Miami, okay. Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I like his game a lot. He's 6'6", 200 pounds, so the pro, the size is really good. Yep. Um, he works super hard on the glass. He's averaging almost six rebounds a game right now. Uh, averaging 3.2 assists as well. Uh, really quick thinker. Uh, just sees the floor really quickly. Um, love his feel overall. Um, he can uh, he can really plays on defense really well. Like he gets he's almost averaging two steals per game. Uh, really good at staying connected around screens. A lot of little things like that. Um, shot looks good. Uh, he is forty eight percent from the field, thirty six point eight percent from three, and ninety two point three percent at the free throw line. Uh, he's comfortable off of movement. He stays poised when he faces heavy pressure. Uh, his handle isn't like excellent but he plays with a nice pace to him uh to kind of get where he wants he's using that more than like creativity or any like yeah. crazy moves or anything like that um but i like how he moves off the of screens like i i'm just really i think he has good upside is like a shooter and reliable decision maker 
So um, what's holding you back on him a little bit then? Because you're checking yeah. a lot of boxes that some of the listeners might be like, well, dang, this sounds like a uh, a right now type of guy. Yeah, I if he went like in this year, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I think he just needs to continue to take on a bigger role. Like mm-hmm. right now, I think he's probably like third or fourth on the team. Miami of Ohio is like three and five. Yeah, he's, he's their fourth leading scorer. So like generally when we're talking about guys coming out of a mid-major conference, we're talking like Ryan Rollins played in the same conference yep. last year. Like Ryan Rollins is scoring like 20 a game, like easily. So uh, for me, it's more about role. Like it's just seeing him continue to take on those reps and get more experience in that capacity. Like I like him uh, ultimately becoming like a complimentary player type guy. Um, but I think he could really add to his game. And I mean, NBA teams just aren't looking at like the fourth option on an under 500 team in the max. So I think it's, I think it's role more than anything, but I think in the long term he can, he can get there. That's totally um, fair. Our next question. Uh, I am. I don't think I'm going to get this thing right. It's uh Suresta uh, at C Suresta on Twitter. Uh, what do you think of Juan Nunez in the late first, early second round? So we talked about Juan on our international players episode yep. a little while back. Um, we were kind of cool on him compared to the consensus then. I'm just curious if you've kind of changed your tune at all at this stage. Not really. And it's kind of crazy because this question is asking about late first, early second range. And it, to me, it's not like a we just got a question from a fan of his because if you look at a lot of people other places, like him, yeah. people really like him a lot. And we know that it's not always the case, but sometimes I feel like places just are like, we don't have an international guy. Like let's just throw one in here to kind <laughs> yeah. of like help us seem a little bit more well-rounded. I still don't have a top 60 grade on him. Like I, Ooh, I'm, yeah. I think he's a, he could really catch on as a next year guy, but I don't know. He's just like a very fine point guard, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the size isn't anything to, to, to behold, you mm-hmm. know, he's, he can be hunted easily. Um, Not what I would consider to be a plus athlete. You know, he's, he's not a negative, fine, I would yeah. say, but he's just, he's a passable NBA level athlete Um, makes just safe, smart reads, a uh, very heady. He kind of lets the play develop away from him and find the open man as opposed to just like imposing his will and creating openings for other people. Um, that's really it. Like I, I worry about his defense a lot. I worry about how the physicality of the NBA could really hurt him on that end. And then the ability to get your own shot. Like, yes, I think, yeah, I think his ultimate role would be like a, a TJ McConnell type. And I think I said that on the, uh, the international episode that we did, but like high end outcome, TJ McConnell, who went undrafted, probably should have been drafted right in his in his class. But yeah. he's nothing that I'm looking at right now. And again, you know, Maxwell said early in the show that I'm trying to cast the net out wide, see who I can pull in, and then I'm going to kind of sort them out a little bit more as the season progresses. Maybe I move him up a little bit, but right now I'm not really anticipating him jumping a lot. Yeah, I just feel like he's kind of, for me, he's like, oh, what's the rush guy? Like, I feel like yeah. a lot of the international guys this year are really young. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't mind if, like, they keep developing. Like, Because I, I feel that way about James Najee, too. I think he's, like, barely inside my top 60. And it's like, well, like, he doesn't need to come over right now. Like, there's no, yeah. there's, I don't know. And maybe a team will draft and stash him, and they'll like him from that standpoint. Um, with Nunez, though, like, I'm not even sure what the value with the stash is um like i know that's gonna sound really harsh but sure i i just think there are a lot of players that are six foot three that are really good at basketball but i don't yeah. know like <laughs> you really need to commit to this guy like late first early second round um because i don't think he's nba ready at all no. um and then it turns into like okay well what's his upside um yeah like he's he's a really sound passer um his his vision on the go is really good. Like he yeah. keeps a good map of the floor. He puts good zip on the ball. Um, I think he moves okay enough defensively, but like he is a zero blocks guy, and like not a zero blocks guy this year. Like a zero blocks guy the year before playing in U18s, and a zero blocks guy the year before that. Um, which like generally like that is it's not like a death knell, but it's really uncommon. Like 
I think it's like Bryn Forbes and a couple other guys. Like it's really it's an hard. indicator, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So like that's concerning. And he throws up some wild stuff too. Like yes. there are occasionally times where it's like, what was that shot? Like that I like I'm not fully sure that I like trust him as a decision yeah. maker and a guy who's gonna lead the offense. And his off ball value right now is pretty low. Um, mm-hmm. this is a guy who is twelve point five percent from three on the season this year. The year before that, 26.7%. And then the year before that, 26.3%. Never been a particularly reliable three-point shoot, uh, free throw shooter. I don't know that I like trust the touch at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're talking about a TJ McConnell, right? Guy, yeah. yeah. And like <laughs> TJ McConnell's a dog. Like TJ McConnell yes. plays like really hard defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like there is some like offensive like carryover where I really see that comp. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, if Nunez is not going to be that level of defender, I don't, I don't love him with the ball in his hands because like some of the shots he takes are are wild, um, and he's not particularly efficient scoring the ball anywhere on the court. And you can't put him off the ball because he can't shoot. Like I just don't see it with this guy. And that's not yeah. to say I'll never see it with this guy, but I'm not in the rush to draft him at 18, 19 years old, like especially like late first round right now. I know it sounds like we're being really hard on him, but yeah. it's, that's that's just for me the reality of it right now. And that could it could always change. Like it's a, it's a long cycle. We'll see how his game develops. If the shot like really comes on strong, maybe I buy in. But that's just kind of where I'm at with him now. I, I, I and I, I totally agree with that. Like depending on who commits and who decides to come back or whatever, you know, maybe take a, a two way look on him. Maybe an exhibit ten, something like that. You know, for teams that really want to you know, add some, some more horses to their stable in the guard room, like definitely bring them in. Like there are things to be excited about him, but in terms of late first, early second, that this class has a lot of guys in that window that I'm much more (laughs) willing to take a Mm -hmm. a chance on. Well, and like, and we talked about it on another episode, like Nathaniel Miller was the one who pointed it out that like a lot of teams do stash in the later half of the second round. So like maybe some team will, will take him there. Um, I, I just, it's it's another kind of weak international class after the top couple guys, and I I feel like there even then like there might be other guys I'd rather bet on. Like I might in terms of not playing college ball and stuff. yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So our our next or do you want to do the next question? Yeah, I got it. Um, so I love these questions. You know, shout out to to Nick's Twitter. I have a lot of people in my circle so that great. that are Knicks fans, and they love their team with such a fierce passion and and i love it man so um this question is asked by iman at nyc underscore clayman says how do how do or excuse me who do we think is a good prospect for the knicks to take a chance on if they keep cam and rj by draft night now that is a a pretty big qualifying part of the question right because we're starting to see that a second round pick might get you cam reddish right now and i think a lot of teams might part with this yeah right just to because you know what what are the hawks what do the knicks know about player development you know this is a question that other front offices might can talk themselves into and say like oh well we could make a a wing like that work right and Mm -hmm. you know rj obviously being a the the face of the knicks essentially right now so and like i just sorry to 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 focus on him real quick but like i like when you look at what average second round value is like Mm -hmm. i look I, people will can criticize Cam Reddish to death. That's fair, but like Cam Reddish is not a guy who's going to embarrass himself on an NBA court. Like nope. Cam Reddish can be an NBA player, and like I, you know, like even if you believe, like uh, there are definitely people that believe in like the potential that's still in there. But like at worst, he's probably better than whoever you're drafting in the second round most of the time. So, well, if, and you know, like exactly, you know, and again, he's still very young and. There's a lot of, you know, room to explore for him. But so I couldn't just answer this question, Maxwell. I had to be a nerd. I, I ran a quick, uh, you know, draft sim. And turns out it didn't really matter anyway, because right now the Knicks have the 16th pick. So I didn't really. Oh, man. Do okay. That. But in that range, um, I have I'm, I'm not going to like list where I have them on my board, but like somewhere in that 16 window, um, I have Max Lewis, Jet Howard. Chris Murray, Grady Dick, and Jalen Hushkafino, all of which I think would be mm-hmm. great candidates to to be on the Knicks, right? Like 
Max Lewis as a potential three, maybe four in the NBA can really modernize that Knicks offense. Um, good shooter. Um, I, I think that he's got like a 72% true shooting percentage, which is crazy considering the volume of shots that he's putting up there. Jet Howard might not be in that range long-term. Uh, Chris Murray, I think, is a very good candidate for that window because like, he's a very smart guy. He's used to playing alongside other players and in short stretches, you could trust him to make good decisions on the floor. Um, good defender as well. Grady Dick, you know, good connective player. And then Jalen Huskafino is probably more of like the high upside, I would say, along with like Jet mm-hmm. Max to where he could probably be multi, multi-positional, um, looks to set guys up more so than himself, but still has an upside as a scorer and a driver. So I think all five of those would be good candidates. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I like that list. I think the big two needs for them, I think, are shooting and like guys who are wing size. Like if you look mm-hmm. through that roster, it's a lot of like a lot of guards and it's a lot of guys that can't shoot. Um, so yeah, Jet and Max Lewis would be like my two wish list guys. And I don't think Jet's going to stay there. I think there's a chance Max might. Like I think Max might yeah. be the guy this year that like everybody knows he's better than that, and like that's still where he goes. <laughs> um, Someone's going to talk like themselves really into. Table. We need a point guard. We need a center as opposed to let's take the best player. Let's take the guy who's six foot seven and shoots the cover off the ball. And like, basically I didn't play real competitive basketball for a couple (laughs) years. And is still like just immediately figuring everything out and improved on everything he needed to work on in an off season. And is a plus athlete teams are going to, are going to overpass all of that. And that's wild. Uh, I also wouldn't hate like a big upside swing. Like, do we hate Bob on Miller? for the Knicks in this I ring. like like because like the shot like hasn't really been there but it's like I, he's I, also I, I think he might not really been there either you yeah know? He hasn't no played. I agree <laughs> yeah he's not playing basketball right now um but like I'm whatever like if he's available in that range even if he doesn't play at all this season for Florida State like that's an intriguing mix mystery box swing I don't know how much it helps you right away and if you're really looking to compete that might get a little dicey but um like him like ryan rupert uh ryan repair was another guy i thought I about like I was like, maybe uh yeah. julian phillips possibly like and there's another guy who like i don't think he's gonna shoot at the nba level right away but like espn i think's got him in the 20s so maybe maybe you just go higher upside and go for that kind of a guy versus Dylan like Mitchell. lewis oh i man i i'm like the low man on dylan mitchell in like the universe i feel like but i again like it, maybe why not like maybe you just try to take the best guy so no um this is a question that i really like this is from the two pointers uh podcast account at two pointers who is this year's vince williams jr so we both liked vince last year Mm -hmm. um who is the guy that like came to mind for you when you heard that yeah so like to kind of qualify this question i love vince williams last year much for the same reasons you did um, someone that I liked late first, early second could do a lot of complimentary things. It's just that like individual shot creation was going to be the one area that I was fairly confident wasn't going to be there. But for a connector, um, I liked him a lot. So I got two names, um, one of which I think that you're going to really like. Um, my first one is City Sissoko. Oh, um, okay. As a guard who I think could be uh, probably multi-positional, give you minutes at the one through three. He's a big guy around six eight. Um, good passer, good cutter, um, has already shown that he can play off of a mega star right now and Scoot Henderson. Um, good defender. His international film was really good too. I think that there's some some things there as a shooter and um, you know, an ancillary playmaker, like a weak side shot guy. So I like him as a complimentary uh wing, kind of early second range. And then your boy Tucker DeVries. That's the answer. I'm, yeah, that's, the that's answer. my answer. Yeah, so so Tucker was like my like definitive number one answer to this question. So um, I just think they have a lot in common. Like they're both, the big issue for both of them is like weren't the best on-ball defenders, didn't have the greatest recovery tools, right? Um, Vince, I think, played bigger than Tucker mm-hmm. did. Like I felt like Vince always felt like you'd watch him. He's only 6'6". Like he felt like he was a taller yes. guy. Um, mm-hmm. Where Tucker very much feels like 6'7". Um, but I think what I liked about both of them defensively is like their instincts were really good. I think Vince's yeah. were probably a little better, um, but scaled yeah, they, up a lot. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and he was a senior too. Tucker's a sophomore. So maybe it gets there, but yeah. um, just knowing where to be. So even like, you're not the, the smoothest lateral mover. You're not the burstiest leaper, but you know how to get into position, how to alter shots, how to get into passing lanes, how to pounce on a guy that can't really dribble and is trying to put it on the floor. And then the offensive games I feel are very similar. Um, Vince Williams could really shoot the ball uh, over his last two seasons. He was like around 40% from three uh, college basketball reference cited to not work right now, but he's 41 for a sign as a junior uh, thir- around 39% as a senior. So uh, DeVries is, is right in that range. And with him, it, he's a little bit slower of an attacker, but they're both very good about like using the defender's leverage to get inside yep. and using their fake, and things like that, where I think Tucker probably is a better, uh, a better um, game is that I think he's more reliable from deeper than Vince Williams was like, he's only 37% roughly on the year, but takes a lot of them off of movement. He's better, a better movement shooter than Vince Williams is. Uh, and similarly, he's very good inside the arc. He's like a 62% two point shooter on the year. Mm-hmm. Um, both see the floor really well. Like I just, I just feel like in terms of the shooting, their ability to get inside, their ability to see the floor, their instincts, like size, like they, they just really remind me a lot of each other. Um, I think with DeVries, it's more about the movement shooting though, where with Vince, yeah. it was more like he's a really good catch and shoot player and he yeah, probably had so. a better, yeah, a better uh, package for attacking off of those plays when he was chased off the line. Where DeVries is like better with a ball screen. If you're just talking about like, what does he do best going downhill with the ball in his hands. And I feel like Tucker is like relative to each other. I feel like DeVries is getting a lot more attention early on in the season. Yeah. Than I feel like Vince Williams did coming into his year. So there, that's to true. me, there's a real big possibility that, that Tucker might surpass where Vince Williams was, was drafted last year. Yeah. Cause last year, Vince was like a big guy on Twitter. Like everybody mm-hmm. on Twitter, I feel like was pretty in on Vince, but like it felt like a while before like the major sites started to mock yeah. him. We're like this year you have Sam Vicini being like a guy at a big publication being like, Hey, this guy's really good. And I feel or like it was Ringer a while. Yeah. Draft show. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, I feel just like him out. awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like with Vince last year, it was probably until like January before he started to get those kind of yeah. nods. And then even then like ESPN had him in the nineties, like <laughs> yeah. pretty late in the draft cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody like the consensus took a while longer to come around on Vince than, than Tucker. But yeah, I think to your point, it, it does seem like people are, are a little quicker on the draw this year with that type of player. No, a hundred percent. And that brings us to our next question. I think that these two kind of segued really nicely into one another. So friend of no ceilings, friend of a lot of people on a hashtag, a draft Twitter, a Simon Rath at Hawks draft nerd on Twitter, uh, asked a very poignant question. He said, would you rather nail an eval on a top-level recruit who ends up being a star player or an eval of an under-the-radar guy who almost no one talks about who ends up being a good NBA player? And I think that the second part of the question is becoming more and more difficult now. Yeah, like yeah, Being yeah. the one guy that is in on a player mm-hmm. is so much more difficult now because the thing about the draft community is that we are sharpening each other so much that we really have to bring it every single day to be relevant. Mm -hmm. And I would say that we need to kind of temper how we qualify that question to where like you and I might know a guy, but you know, if these major, you know, you know, draft syndication sites or whatever aren't really, are talking about a Tucker DeVries as a sleeper when they're introducing him, we're like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about? We've been talking about for months now. You know, mm-hmm. we really need to kind of temper how we how we ask the question that almost no one is talking about because yeah, draft Twitter and, communicates all the time. Yes, yeah, and I think we need to view it through the lens of like a normal person because like yes, we're it, not like the, we have changed the definition. And when I say like we, I mean like the draft Twitter community has changed the yes. definition of sleeper to like a preposterous degree. Like yes. a sleeper used to be like who's the guy who might go like thirty fourth and have a great NBA career. We're now we're like this guy's a sleeper and like by sleeper, we mean like this guy might make the back half of the top 103 years from now. Like, yes. like we have taken <laughs> sleeper too far. Like that's mm-hmm. why I try to use like deep cut is cause it's like, 
this guy's like a real deep cut. Like this guy like might be somebody a couple years from now. And I feel like with sleeper, it's like, this is a guy who's like kind of in the conversation already. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I do think you're right though. I th- and I think it's a good thing. Like, I love that. Like everybody is like just being a sicko and going, <laughs> going into the draft. We're like trying to just find guys, like trying yes. really hard to come across player. And like, it's so fun to just like find a random guy and be like, Ooh, I kind of like him. Like it's, it's, it's a fun experience. Um, and I talk about question though. Like, oh yeah, please go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like I think it's tricky because I think I think the first one is probably more important, right? Like if yeah. you're like if you're a team and you're picking at the top, like that is the most important job you could possibly have is like nailing that top evaluation. Um, I think it just depends on your perspective and like how you're thinking about it. Like I love nailing those back end guys. Like to me, like that is like the part that I enjoy most in like even last year, like just like being higher on a guy like Jalen Williams throughout mm-hmm. the process where like, I didn't even have him like first round until like closer to the end of the dress cycle, but still back then, like people were still like projecting the sixties and fifties. And like by having him in like the twenties, I was high on him. Like that felt really good. Like that felt really affirming to just be like higher throughout. And then like up until the end, like there, that's good. Like that to me is like super rewarding. So um, I love doing that. And I think that when you have further down the board, that's obviously where teams can recoup a lot of value. Um, so, I mean, you just like look at a team, like the heat, like year over year, like getting guys like Max Struess, uh, who Gabe Vincent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like those type of guys, like that is real value. So I think, I think you can take a lot of pride in either. I, personally like for the spot i'm in right now i kind of like nailing those guys that like are back-end people but i think realistically the first one is like the most important thing if you're if you're like working for a team like i think that would be like the most important thing but for like what we're doing right now i think the second part one is probably more fun yeah i think that you could um if you're the memphis grizzlies right and mm-hmm. you're you you say you didn't for whatever reason didn't get Zion obviously you didn't or you didn't get job but you're like but we drafted Jake LaRavia (laughs) you know what I mean like how much job security do you have in that aspect I think that the way that you separated that was awesome but I'm a lot like you man like I think obviously you have the whole no stone unturned series that you ran Mm -hmm. in the offseason which was beautiful I'm a lot like that too man where even a guy like Santi Aldama who during my first draft cycle where I was really diving in I would ask like really smart, respected people um, about Santee. And I could tell you a number of them were like, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't really watched them. You yeah. know? And hearing him get drafted on draft night, like I stood up and raised my arms like <laughs> it was my own son you yeah, know, that yeah. got drafted. So I have a lot of satisfaction in that. But the the way that you laid that out, like the importance of, you know, I was high on Benedict Matherin compared to some of the other guards that other people were were higher on. And now he's looking like a rookie of the year, you know? So mm-hmm. obviously that looks like, or that's more important to the front office, but yeah, finding sleepers is always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this next one, this is actually a question from my dad, uh, a mm. former coach himself who asks, as you look at prospects, how much interest do you have in who their coach is? Or at this level, is that not really taken into account? I think it's really important. Mm. Um, and I know in the No Things group chat, we have coaches that we really don't like. Like we have coaches where it's like, <laughs> oh no, like this guy's no, playing. Coaches, this if coach, you're listening, like, cover your ears. Yeah, yeah. No, we 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 love all you guys. We love all you guys. Yeah. It's just for the prospect. It, there, there are coaches that put guys in tougher situations than others. And a lot of times yeah. it's understandable. Because like a coach's job isn't to make me happy. A coach's job is to win basketball games, stay employed, and keep that sweet, sweet booster money rolling into his school. So I I get it a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it matters quite a bit. Um I think I think there can be positives and negatives. Like I think a guy like like John Calperry, for instance, mm. will give you don't have to like worry about like him giving time to a freshman like he's gonna play him but not always in the role that you want and like the the example that i know Corey told is thinking about right now is ashton hagans who like ashton hagans like the best thing for him was to play point guard because he probably was not going to play on the court if he wasn't playing point guard but then like emmanuel quickly and tyrese maxi like didn't really get to show what they could do because it was like 
All right. Well, the best thing for Ashton is to have him with the ball in his hands. So I know you guys are good at that stuff too, but because you can do other things, like you're not going to get to do as much of that. So it does matter because yeah, a lot of times guys will be pushed into different roles specific to the type of coach, but I, I want to hear what you have to say on this one. I'm intrigued. Yeah. So I would say more than I used to, that's literally what I have written down in my notes. Um, I think I tend to look at it more if I see it, that a player is underperforming compared to my expectations. Like if a, if a player is putting up numbers like Brandon Miller, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, this early in the season, giving you like 19 and 10 coach Oates, fine coach. But I like what I'm seeing from Brandon Miller as an individual prospect. I'm not really giving it much thought. Whereas like, if I look at a, an Imani Bates from last year, you know, yeah, yeah. underperformed compared to expectations. And that's when I start looking into, to the Memphis program, like who's, who's getting, you know, like, does he have a point guard? You know, how yeah, open is the floor? Like, what they, does the team look like? Yeah. They played him at point guard. When it's yes, like, exactly. whoa, that was not, that was not in his wheelhouse at all. Yes. Like right now he's a low assist guy. Like imagine mm-hmm. last year, like a whole year ago of Monty Bates being like, you're running the offense, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like the, there's similar just, thing to Jalen Duran when I'm watching him play at the level that he yeah. was without a true point or a guy who, has the knack for setting him up for open shots. So then, I like I said, relative to expectations, that's where I really start to pay attention to it a little bit more. Like, say, an Amari Bailey this year. Yeah, I look yeah, at the yeah. situation, and I'm like, okay, I really had high hopes for him last year. I think that he's a very talented guy. Tiger Campbell's on this team. It's a senior, upperclassman-laden team. Does Coach Cronin have the patience to put up with mistakes and let him grow and improve? So if I do see him make a mistake and he's not getting the minutes, I can now kind of add that into the equation. Yeah. And I think like Mick Cronin is another great example where like he has a reputation of like, he's going to coach his guys hard. He cares a lot about effort. He cares a lot about defense. He cares a lot about making mistakes on offense. We're like yes. last year, Peyton Watson just never got the chance. Like Peyton Watson played like six minutes a game. And I think NBA front offices bet on just like Mick Cronin wasn't patient enough. So yeah. the Nuggets took him in the first round anyway, even though he like didn't play in a lot of games or played very few minutes. Um, and Zaire Williams for like, Stanford, you got to start considering yeah. high school film, I think more now mm-hmm. more so than ever, because these players aren't necessarily making the best choices for their style of play. Like sometimes I think that they get caught up in the prestige of certain mm-hmm. universities, as opposed to like playing for coaches that will get the most out of their talent. For sure. I think that's a very real thing. I think you look and like to continue on like the UCLA example, like in, into talk, touch on Amari again, like I think in some ways it can be a positive thing where it's like, now that Amari like struggled out of the gate and now he has his offense going and his shot falling. It's like, I actually kind of like UCLA for him yeah. because like now he's like really competing on the glass in the last couple of games. I feel much better about him defensively than yes. I felt coming into the season. And it's like, well, playing for a guy like Mick Cronin probably ended up being a good thing for him mm-hmm. as long as he can continue to hit shots and stay on the court. Um, I think about AJ Griffin with Duke last season. Okay. Where, yeah. That's like, a good one. so, so I was, AJ Griffin's a weird one because I was out on AJ Griffin and that like I didn't have him top five and like a lot of people on draft Twitter did. Mm-hmm. And I, my main concern with AJ Griffin was that I did not like the defensive film at all. And I no. still ranked him on draft night higher than he got picked because I was like, well, he's just such a good shooter. Like the touch is ridiculous. Like coming off if, of injury too. If yeah. you're that good at just putting the ball in the basket and you're six, six, like you're going to play in the NBA, even if I think you'll be like one of the worst defenders in the league. So like, mm-hmm. regardless of how low I am on your defense, like you're going to, you're going to play. Um, Yeah. He fell on draft night. The Hawks took him and like coach K it's just become like pretty evident. Like guys didn't, play defense under him he didn't have a philosophy he never worked with guys on it like guys just kind of stunk playing defense at duke the last couple years and now you look at him in the nba he's fine he's like a perfectly competent defender especially by rookie standards and in the couch i'm like he was getting back at all the time and like nothing ever changed and that's probably just the coach he was playing for like now in the nba maybe he's got somebody holding him accountable whether it's his assistants or teammates or whatever and like Mm -hmm. Now the defense isn't an issue anymore. So 
I, I, in hindsight, it's like, I probably should have taken into account and guys in the no ceilings group themselves were saying like, Hey, coach yeah. K doesn't play defense. And like we talked about it with Paulo a lot too. Like, you know, Mark Williams, like was just so wired to do that, that he just kind of did it on his own. But for a lot of these guys, like those mistakes, more, yeah. yeah, didn't really get like touched or taught upon there. So yeah, I, th- I think there's all sorts of different ways that, that coaching can affect how we view guys. And it is important to take into account. Absolutely. All right. So this next question is asked by Joey Barrett at Joey Barrett on Twitter. It says, what player would increase their stock if they grew two more inches? Um, I would say all of them at first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, kind yeah. Of very lazily. But um, seriously, I have two names for you. And okay. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. The first one. I'll say Case and Wallace. Would that was that, that was your my guy? answer? Okay, that I got a backup. Answer. I got a yeah, backup. Okay. I prepared because I I felt like that's the obvious one. Mm-hmm. I would say Cam Whitmore would be the second one. Ooh, okay. Why don't you talk about Kaysen a little bit more as yeah. to why you think that he would be ben- more benefit? Yeah. So I think Kaysen right now is a combo guard. It's like I'm still really excited about him. Like I think yes. he's going to be a real deal, high level NBA combo guard. Plays awesome defense. Will guard either guard, guard spot incredibly well. Um, shiftier than I expected. First step better than I expected. Shooting the ball better than I expected. Um, really setting the table. Like has like like combo guard size and the strength to guard ones and twos and the length to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But like really, it, just in terms of table setting and how he gets guys open, like he's he's a guard. But if he was six six. Yeah. like and you knew because like, i think he probably is going to be able to like cover some threes the way davion mitchell is able to cover some twos despite being like six feet tall just because he is so strong and has so much length like if casein wallace was two inches taller you could talk me into being like he's gonna cover fours you know what yeah. i mean like he's just like that type of defender and i think if you were talking about him is then an offensive player too who's six foot six you can reliably trot him out as a point guard like the amount of mismatches he could create on that end, the amount of versatility he would have on defense. Like he would, he would probably be three point shooter. He would no be number deal. three on my board. If he was six, yeah. And six. like, yeah. So he was the guy that like I thought of first. Yeah. I th- and I think yeah. that that's the most evident one, because I think that he's kind of overqualified defensively for the position that he plays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like you mentioned, uh, being positionally versatile to defend one through three, um, kind of, similar to like a Drew Holiday or Marcus Smart, which is the type of player I think that he's going to get a lot of comparison to. But I bring up Cam Whitmore because he's 6'6 and about 230, 240 pounds. Very powerful athlete. I think if you're looking at him in that 6'8 range, now we're looking at him in the mold of like the premier level athletes, um, Mm -hmm. wings, kind of positional guys. And he's very adept at, you know, getting to the basket, he has a strong enough handle. I think that it could stand to be tightened up a little bit more, but looking at the things that he can get away with on offense and the, the stuff that he's best at, like how powerful he is, how under, like how great at cutting he is, you know, he's growing more as a three point shooter. Defensively, he's already showing you at Villanova that he's capable of defending multiple positions and I'm actually been more impressed with his defensive rotations coming back in like just now starting to play college basketball. I'm more impressed defensively with where he's at than he is offensively. I think that being 6'8", 230, 240 kind of lends him to be more in that like NBA superstar kind of uh, archetype as opposed to being on that 6'6 size where you start questioning you like, well, what position does he defend? You know, like what's his role on the offensive end? Being a little bit better, I think, clears a lot of that up. And yeah. I have him number three on my board right now. If he was mm-hmm. six eight, like I, I wouldn't move him up anymore, but maybe more yeah. people would start considering him at that three range. Um, two other guys I'll throw out real quick. One is just like a me personally guy, and that's Dylan Mitchell. Where like if he was six nine, okay. I feel way better about the fact that he has like two assists on the year and hasn't made a three. Um and then another one was the guy that we were talking about the other day, because I have been kind of like grappling through to put him and that's Taylor Hendricks at central okay. Florida. Cause he's listed so he's, at six foot nine. It's nine. Yeah. But if he's six eleven, and you think about how yeah. he rebounds down, he protects the rim and it's just like, Oh, he's a center, like a, a, a three and D five. Like it's he's way Jonathan easier Isaac. to project him. Yeah. Versus like now it's like, okay, well like, yeah, he's going to make shots out of the corner. Yeah. He's going to like play really good defense. Yes. He's a plus athlete. 
but like the ball skills like probably need to come along a little bit. Like I feel like he would be an unquestionable one and done like near lottery talent. Like I think he would be really yeah. in that mix if he was six eleven. Like that Ushman Shangro. How about can Ooh, we just yeah. be funny and say let's just make Victor even taller? Let's just <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, if he was seven six, it would yeah the hype would be out of control. <laughs> um, this we've got a fun one here. Uh, this is from Phil Pauski season at Cannibal Serb. Uh, when name. doing a big board more than a mock, how much do you weigh the risk versus safe pick in terms of where you place guys? Okay. Um. I don't think that I do it too often when I'm making a board. Okay. And I th- and I want to go back to just the question. I think it's very smart that Filipowski season said more than a mock because I think in a mock that's where you're considering safe versus risk because you start having to consider like who's on the roster already, like what's the history of the team, things of that nature. Whereas when I'm making a board, I'm just looking at talent relative to one another. Mm-hmm. And like I might have a guy um, like Malik Renu higher than someone who's a fourth year senior putting up, you know, great numbers at a very major university because I like him more long-term because I'm, I'm seeing flashes in a very smaller scaled role and I'm projecting that out a little bit more. And I just think that he could do more than what some of these other more, I think some guys are going to get drafted because of productivity on a long for like a long career in college, you know, like some guys are just going to get looks like Luca Garza players of that ilk. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily weigh risk versus safe um, when I'm making just a board of players. And I'm saying like who I think is 15th as opposed to 27th or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 I think the way that, the, that he framed that question is, is perfect because a mock is, like at a certain level, you get to the risk versus safe pick discussion. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's like something I still think about all the time. Like this is like a really fun philosophy question. Um, because yeah, it is like a real phenomenon. So like guys that, yeah. like do you guys I have it in a similar range are, um, and I don't think they're going to be in a similar range for long. I'm just kind of like, waiting to see one guy continue to produce how he is like your board has to be done right now yeah 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 you gotta be (laughs) yeah choose now (laughs) uh like cd sissoko and trace jackson davis we're like i think most people have cd in like the 20s and like i I have him in like the 40 range right now um because like the free throw shooting really bad like the free throw shooting is really concerning and like he is hitting his threes right now but I don't know how much I buy that, but I love his versatility on defense. Mm. I love some of his playmaking. Um, but then like at the same time, it's like, well, Javi King is getting a lot more of those like secondary on bar reps for the ignite so far this season. So like how much do they trust CD? Like there's like real questions, like what he can be. We're like with TJD, like I think Trace Jackson Davis is going to be a reliable backup bit who like plays in the NBA, like for a while. Like, I think he's going to be around and be good. Yeah. And we talk about it. Um, is a group quite a bit too that like he plays in a very archaic offense where it's a lot of just like oh throw the ball into the post tjd go get to your hook shot whereas like yep. in the nba he's gonna get to do more dribble handoff he's gonna get to do more pick and roll he's gonna get to do more short short roll passing but right now a lot of his passing is just out of one specific area um, maybe even shoot a three have... yeah 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 and like <laughs> he's he's gonna have that post-up bag the post-up bag is not gonna go away and when he gets smalls on him in the nba he's gonna be able to use it to punish them um, but there's like a lot of stuff that like as just a roller that we don't get to see him do. Like we just don't yeah. get to see a lot of like he sets a ball screen and rolls to the basket. Um, I feel like Trace Jackson Davis is going to be in the NBA for a long time. So how do yeah, I dude. weigh that versus a guy like CD Sissoko, who is a wing that might not be able to shoot at all. And if that's the case, then what is his role when like the best thing he does on offense is dribble and create. He's still not that great at it. And generally guys that, um str- like if he's not getting those kind of reps on an ignite team like in a high level why would he get them in the nba so like there's there's a real ugly floor on cd sissoko where i feel like with trace jackson davis the floor is like maybe he just ends up on a team where like he doesn't play that much or like he doesn't fit the scheme but like i don't see a world where like trace jackson davis is a completely unplayable nba player but you're like, still also applying ceiling to that too exactly where you're discussing like where CD, you're at. 
yeah, if CD does shoot and CD's a reliable player, then like he is what every team wants. He is Mm -hmm. a six foot seven guy who can defend multiple positions, create off the bounce and knock down threes. And like all CD has to be to even like be that is just like a reliable three point shooter out of the corner and a guy who makes like 60% of his free throws. Like that's all we're asking out of him to like really probably be a top 20 pick. So yeah, like that's where it gets tricky is it's like, okay, like right now I have these guys in a close range, but like, I think their potential outcomes are are completely different. Like I feel like Trace Jackson Davis' ceiling probably isn't that high. Um, but I also just don't see a world where like he's not around the NBA for a long time. Yeah, and I have TJD at 30 and I have City Soko at 38. So I too similarly have them within, you know, that that same range. So <laughs> all right. I'm gonna ask you a taboo question here because I and I, I know that we're both going to be transparent with this, which is why I, I love what we do. Yeah. Um, Chip Douglas at 207 uh, Celtics. Shout out to the Celtics. They are absolutely killing it in the NBA right now. He asks, what are your thoughts on the influence that looking at other people's boards and mock drafts have on your personal board? No one no one ever lets outside noise affect their own their own yeah. stuff right yeah yeah i feel like people there are gonna be people that like lie and are like i never look at any yeah. of it like I, I you do people look at it um i don't let it like overly sway my opinion and i would say most of the time i try to do it for people that i know i can talk to like sure. like i'll look at the spn board but like i don't put a ton of stock into it but like a guy like adam spinella like i yeah. can dm adam spinella and like if there's a guy that like he's really high on and i'm not like Adam's a smart guy. I trust Adam and I can just shoot him a message. Be like, Hey man, like what are you seeing in him that like, I'm not seeing or like same mm-hmm. with like all the no ceilings guys. Like I love yeah. like just texting people and being like, Hey, man, like I don't see with this person. What do, what do you think? So um, I like that. I, but to me, it's more of just like a question asking exercise. It's more yeah. about being like, what, what is this person seeing that I'm not, what are they weighing that I'm not? Um, so I look at it, but I don't think, I don't think it like it affects me. Like I've never seen somebody be like, Oh, this guy's five. I got to move him up my board. Like yeah. I, I look at stuff, but I don't, I, it's, it's never made me like insecure. Like I've never looked at something and been like, Oh, well I better, I better change. I got to fit in <laughs> and like have this guy in this range. I will say I do for my final board somewhat taken into account. Um, just from like a value standpoint. So, um, like if I know a guy is like 100% not getting drafted, um, but I like him, I'd be more predisposed to put him like 65 versus like 40th. Because yeah. if I know like in this hypothetical exercise, like he's not going to get drafted, well then like, why would I use a pick on him? Why wouldn't I just try to get him as an undrafted free agent? So I think like from that standpoint, it is important to like know the relative value that these guys are expected to have coming in. So, like, so from that perspective, a little bit, but that's the only time I ever really take it into account. It's just like, I'm not going to rank a guy, even if I think he might be like the 20th best player. Why wouldn't I just rank him like 30th? If I know I could get him with the 30th pick versus, you know, putting him 20 ahead of, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, I, I get what you're saying. I think a lot of people say that I like this player, but I think his value is better. If you pick him lower, I don't subscribe to that notion, but I respect it because you're playing a lot more reality into how you're laying your board across where for me, like to answer the question, I do it. I look at boards all the time. Like, especially like you said, for people who I respect, who I know I can hit up like basketball Mm -hmm. news. Like if they're putting something up, like I could hit up Mr. Babcock and say, you know, Hey sir, can you come on the show and we can talk about this player because I'm struggling Mm -hmm. a little bit with him as a prospect. Right. Um, I know it's taboo for some people to say that and they'll deny that they do it at all. Um, but when I do it, I don't look at it as um, like, Hey, this, like this player smiles Johnson that, that Albert just, yeah. Like if smiles Johnson is on Albert's board, I'm not going to look at that and say, Oh my goodness, I have to move them up to me. I look at a board and I see smiles Johnson on there and, and he's a fake player. Um, mm-hmm. just for people who might be confused, but yeah, if I not see some... Miles <laughs> so, Johnson into like college basketball reference, be like, I might be a, who this guy is. Sounds like a jazz musician, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, if I'm looking and I see a Smiles Johnson on somebody's board, I'm not looking at it and say, oh my goodness, like I got to move him up. To me, I'm looking and say, like Smiles Johnson, I've never heard of him before. Let me go and look at him. Like to me, 
that's what I'm looking at. And this is like the whole concept of what I'm calling prospect sharing, you know, and that's yeah, what yeah, makes, yeah. you know, our draft community so great is that we're always exchanging players and it helps us to look at them, evaluate them, break them down. And then we have that dialogue later and be like, this is my area of concern. And then that's where philosophy comes into play too. Just like, what do you find more valuable in a forward as opposed to a guard or a big man, right? Like there's so much nuance into it. And, and again, you know, Chip, I, I look at boards, other people's boards, it's crazy, but I don't let it influence me. If anything, I use the, those boards to find other prospects that I might not be too familiar with and mm-hmm. try to help grow as a scout. Yeah, I think it's I think it's necessary to like keep a finger on the pulse. Like I think yeah. it's I, I think you should look at other people's boards. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that's a hot take. And like I'm not saying like you should look at it and yeah, like let it influence you. But I think it's important to know like who's who what's the consensus right now? Like what are people seeing? Who are they seeing? And I think it's yeah, I think it's good to just like question your own line of thinking. Like I think this idea of like you should only use like <laughs> your your own brain to like determine who's good. It's like I don't like everyone on Twitter likes to say no one, no one ever like really discovers anybody. And like, that's true. But at the same time, it is good to like find players and just be like, all right, well, this person's talking about them. Why? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a very useful tool to like ask yourself questions and like make yourself think about where you're ranking these players. Welcome um, to No Ceilings, it, where we look at other people's big boards and we believe in player comps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still hate player comps. I'm still, I, I do not like comps, <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, I think it's a good it's a good exercise to make yourself think about prospects, where they should go, what their value is. Yep. All right. So, um, last question, Matt. Is this is this your question? Or oh yeah, question? yeah, yeah. This is a okay. uh, from Nathaniel Miller at Journalist Nate, friend of No Ceilings um shout out to nate who are your baylor shireman guys low slash mid-major wings uh wing prospects you want to succeed this season and then transfer to a high major before going professional so this is like a really fun like this is our type of question like these are the guys that like we are always texting about being like hey have you seen this guy so this is a fun one smiles johnson has smiles johnson's (laughs) got it uh smiles johnson's gonna get an nil bag from whoever the f state university (laughs) yeah (laughs) all Um, right was there like immediate guys for you that jumped out or there's a bunch man um i got one that i haven't and this is me kind of toot toot tooting my own Mm -hmm. horn um sam hastreeter of north dakota state oh uh, yeah 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 um I like this guy, man. He's playing about 19 minutes a game. He's 6'7", 210, kind of a wing forward. Um, within 19 minutes, he's giving you five and a half points a game, almost four boards, and giving you 51.9% three-point shooting on about Great. two and a half yeah. attempts per game in 19 minutes. Like, scale that up a little bit. Like, hit. Mm-hmm. He's not a good defender right now. He's also like a a real freshman, not like one of these like red shirts or let me claim a COVID year. Like he yeah. is a real freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, not a guy. I think he was a maybe a two star recruit. Um, just one of these guys that I you know I didn't discover him. Obviously, he got he's in college. Like other people knew who he was before me, but mm-hmm. I stumbled upon his name while running a uh, Bark Orbit query based on shooting and size and went and watched him. And this guy might be the best shooter in the country. Really? Like, like for people who aren't familiar, um, Mm -hmm. I believe he's already at one point this year had a seven for seven, three point shooting performance. Like, and that was like early, early in the year. Mm -hmm. Now this is, I don't feel like I need to qualify this because if I'll just read Nate's question again, it says, low mid-major wing prospects you want to succeed this season and then transfer to a high major before going to professional so i don't have to throw out the the typical caveats of like level of competition like Mm -hmm. all this other stuff like he's showing enough right now as like a true blue freshman at a you know north dakota state it sounds familiar right that's because it's where you know isn't that where baylor baylor shireman played who is it? South Dakota State. So it's a rival State. school. Yeah. So yeah. So Zeke Mayo would be like the more apt, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. um, well, they name had, there. They have the kid who's on Nebraska now. Like I feel like they have. I yeah. feel like they had somebody last season that like did just did a transfer up, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Sam Cristel, yeah. who's on Nebraska now, is on. Yep. 
year. Yep. Yep. So I will say um, Sam Hastrader of uh, North Dakota State, 6'7", 210, freshman, forward wing, who is shooting the cover off the ball. He might be the best three-point shooter in the country. It'll be fun to see him, you know, maybe get a call from a, a bigger university for a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a name who jumped out for me, a guy I mentioned in my column last week, Jace Carter at uh, University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, 6'5", like big body, like 6'5", and like comfortably a three rather than a two. Uh, <laughs> he is very powerful. He screens really well. He rebounds really well, almost averaging six rebounds a game. Um, his ball skills are lacking. Like that's like the one thing really working against him. But it's why I think this situation would be good for him because I think if he were, he's a sophomore right now, and I think this is a situation where you transfer up, maybe you get better like on ball development, possibly at a better school. I can't, I don't like, I can't speak too well to like the UIC coaching staff. Maybe they are great with that, and it just hasn't come along. Um, but he's sixty eight percent on twos for the year. He. Mm is below 30% from three on the year, but last year was a 38% three-point shooter. This year, he's like the guy. So he's yeah. having to, he's getting less like assisted type looks. Uh, but he's averaging 16 and a half points per game. Um, block rate and uh, is uh, 1.9, steal rate 2.7. Uh, so just 6'5", has, has a pro body, knows how to defend, can score, um, can get his own inside the arc now, coming along as far as his feel and passing goes. Like, he he's the kind of guy that I think you could throw him in a high major game. And like, he has enough things that he's going to be able to do that. He'll be able to stay on the floor. Um, Jadon Jones at Long Beach state. is a guy who's like basically yep. just a three and D guy, like ball skills really aren't there. But I think you look at a guy like Joey Calcaterra at UConn this year, who like scored 10 points a game in a conference. And is like doing the same thing at UConn because like the role is just like, I shoot uh, Jadon, probably not as good of a shoot, probably not as good of a shooter, but like, way better defensively um yep. especially like really knows how to play off ball defense he's a guy that could do that um and then i would throw out Devonte blanton from eastern kentucky who like i think is putting up good scoring numbers but he is really heavy on his feet like the mm-hmm. defense i worry about with him but he can really score uh he is six foot six 15.6 points per game uh, on the season, he is 42% from three, and he's averaging around three assists per game. So it's 6'6", he can put it on the floor, he can shoot, and he's powerful enough that he can get to his spots. Uh, so I like his offensive translation. The defense would scare me a little bit. But like those were the three that came to mind right away. Yeah, I would just say one more. I know he's an older sophomore. This is like where I got where I was going with uh, the you know the actual freshman for Hastreeter. But Dylan Jones at Weber State, kind of more that yeah 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 yeah. i think that he would be another one that he could stand to go up in in a level of competition to really prove himself kind of a a a power wing right now for weaver state can do a little bit of everything um just kind of one of those other guys that you would like to see prove it a a little bit more against like higher level of competition Mm -hmm. yeah so that that does it for our questions on this episode um so let's just talk real quick, Steven. I think we had some some schedule rearranging going on yeah. this week. So your column's coming out tomorrow. It's not already out uh, as we record this, but let people know what you've got coming Actually, out. Actually, by the time that this is this dropping. Is when this is out, it will be out. We're yeah, recording so, on Sunday. This is yeah. dropping on a Monday. Um, the same day that you're listening to this, I will have my column, The Weekend Warrior, which typically drops on a Sunday to the day that we're recording this episode. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dropping today that you're listening to it on Monday. The just to kind of warrior this time. To, yeah. to clear up any confusion, yes, the weekday warrior. Um, Nathan, as we mentioned, is doing a lot right now um, in his personal life. So my column is shifting over from Sunday to Monday. And it is going to be featuring Bobby Clintman of Wake Forest. Um, had, a, had the privilege to do an interview with him over the phone. A remarkable story for this young man. Hails from, you know, Mamo, Sweden. Um, just a tremendous story uh, had such a great um, European like FIBA European tournament under 20 uh, came and played at sunrise Christian with some players you might've heard of and Grady Dick and Mark Mitchell um, is now playing for Wake Forest and very talented guy um, talking about in a year, Maxwell, this guy grew two inches and 20 pounds and is adjusting and went from, that. you know, European basketball to 
American high school to D1 competition in the ACC. Um, so great interview. Love this kid. Uh, very enduring. I, I have said to you guys that if I had an 18-year-old daughter, he could marry her. Like, I, <laughs> I, I love this. I love him. Um, mm-hmm. At the beginning, you know, at, at a portion of my article is going to be the interview. The next portion is going to be like the film breakdown for him mm-hmm. as well to kind of justify a lot of the stuff that I was able to talk to him about. So um, great Great interview, great piece. I'm very excited for it dropping, and I uh, hope that you all like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for it because he was one of those guys that, like, as soon as he kind of popped up on a radar, like a lot of us were so interested in him. Yeah, as a player, and then like, yeah, to hear the story, like, there's aren't a lot of guys in college basketball that are going to have a story like he has. So I think it's it's fascinating. I'm really excited to read that one. Um, this week I'm writing about Derek Lively, which I'm sure a lot of people are like, Oh no, (laughs) look, I, I, I'll I'll get into it in the piece. I'm not all the way out on Derek Lively. I still kind of like Derek Lively in some ways. Uh, yeah, I think he's a fascinating player in ways, both good and bad, uh, in terms of what we've seen so far this season. And I just think he's worth dissecting. Like, Because there are some metrics where it's like, oh, wow, that's tremendous. And then there's other stuff that is beyond concerning. Like, uh, to to spoil a little anecdote, going into the weekend, he had, like, a worse rebounding rate than Keontae George, Mm. uh, who is six foot four and, like, considered groundbound. So, yeah, there's some stuff that, like, you don't want to see from a seven foot one center with a seven foot eight wingspan who gets off the floor really easily. Uh, so, number one recruit in his class. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I uh, had a lot of fun writing it, actually. Like, I, I, he's just a fascinating player. And, like, the range of outcomes, something you talked about earlier, is very wide, it appears. Um, so, yeah, wrote about him this week. But uh, make sure that you guys are getting all that stuff in your inbox every day. Uh, so go to nosillingsnba.com, click the subscribe button and any of our articles, get that stuff right in your inbox. Uh, make sure that you uh, read Steven's piece, read my piece when that comes out and read everything that we put out this week. We've got a lot of good stuff in the pipeline for you. If you're not already, subscribe to the No Sillings NBA podcast feed on your app of choice. Rate, subscribe, review, leave us a review, give us five stars. Uh, say which uh, member of the No Sillings Collective is the most handsome and your favorite. Uh, in the comments below, that'll help help us with the algorithm. Easily, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Much love, y'all.